The following podcast is a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be sent to DeSantisProd at gmail.com. Are you talking shift? We are. It's time for the We're Talking Shift podcast. Now. 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 Here to talk shift, Lori Bischoff. We're talking shift. Hey, everyone. I'm Lori Bischoff. Welcome to the We're Talking Shift podcast, where I talk shift because I believe that the antidote to feeling stuck begins with shifting our thinking. And sometimes we have to follow that mental shift up by going rogue and making an unprecedented move in our lives. And wow, did my guest today do just that. So today's going rogue guest is Dr. Patty Kogutek. Patty is an award-winning author of two books and an inspirational speaker. Her first book, is called A Change of Habit, A Spiritual Journey from Sister Mary Kateri to Sister Mary Vodka. It's Seven Secrets to Guilt-Free Living. Talk about going rogue, right? So with worldwide acclaim, this book has racked up 14 awards, both nationally and internationally. A Change of Habit chronicles Patty's journey as a Catholic nun for seven years. And let me tell you, her account is fascinating. Then her latest book, G-Vites, Everyday Invitations from God, is also universally recognized and a winner of four awards. It serves as the handbook of practical spirituality for searching souls seeking to find God in their daily lives. Patty's books were both inspired from her journey, living as a Catholic nun for seven years and then later working her way through a 12-year failed marriage. She now shares her experiences through private coaching, workshops, and speaking, helping other guilt sponges understand the emotionally, physically, and psychologically debilitating effects of guilt and guiding them to releasing the burden of carrying it. So Patty and I are going to be talking about guilt, something that most of us can relate to and have probably suffered um, at least to some degree at some point in our lives. And as usually happens when Patty and I get together, I have a feeling that we'll cover some other good stuff too. Well, hello and welcome, Patty. How the heck are you? I am wonderful. I couldn't be any better. How about yourself? Excellent, excellent. I have so many things I want to talk to you about today. Um, oh my gosh, I almost don't know where to start. You know what? I do know where to start. First, but so I don't forget, I do want to just give a quick thank you to our mutual friend, Jonathan Mazalonis, for connecting us. Um, it's been a few years, and I was thinking back today, trying to remember how we made our initial connection, and it was Jonathan. It was. I can't. I can't remember. I thought it was on Twitter, and then we met for lunch. So, uh, thanks for refreshing my memory. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was on Twitter, but it, the reason was because Jonathan uh, had connected me with you and done it all through Twitter. Anyway, um, but all good. All good. So, all right. You have got so much juicy stuff to talk about that. Uh, I'm just, I'm super excited for this episode. There's going to be a lot of great things here that I think are going to be super helpful for people in their lives, but I'm sure you get this all the time, but I have to ask my first question right out of the gate is how did we end up deciding on Sister Mary Kateri to Sister Mary Vodka? 
How did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it, it's interesting. The book um, is called A Change of Habit, A Spiritual Journey from Sister Mary Kateri to Sister Mary Vodka. Right. Sister Mary Kateri was the religious name they gave me in the convent. I didn't get to choose. They just gave me the name of this um, Indian maiden. She wasn't even a saint. She was Blessed Kateri Tekawitha, and she was the lily of the Mohawk. She was a martyr who was, I think, killed in, you know, when she was about 16. So they gave me that name. And then, since this book is about a spiritual journey, moving from like a strict Catholic religion to a more personal spiritual experience, I want the idea of a Sister Mary Vodka. So I've come a long way <laughs> from one <laughs> to the other. And it's interesting, the editors um, did not want to put that Sister Mary Vodka in the title because it sounded like I had gone from the convent to AA and it was more about that. And I said, right. no, no, I wanted that because it's a serious book and sometimes it can be kind of heavy. And this Sister Mary Vodka is the light part of the book. <clears throat> so yeah. it kind of makes everybody smile when I told them the title. So I says, we're going with it. So I got the name Sister Mary Vodka when my husband and I moved from Del Mar, California up to Whitefish, Montana. And we were at a cocktail party with people, and I had a glass of vodka in my hand, and I was being introduced to people, and this gentleman wanted to know <clears throat> where I had come from and my background and everything like that. And I usually didn't tell people about being a nun. I mean, it was kind of a, a, a deep, deep, dark secret because when I came out, it was in the 70s, and, you know, if you told them you were a nun in California, you know, they looked at you like you were crazy. So I kept that hidden, but this guy kept probing and probing. Where'd you go to school? I said, the College of St. Mary. I was raised in Omaha, Nebraska. And I said, I was a Catholic nun for seven years. And he goes, no. And I said, yes. And he goes, no, you're not. And he's looking me up and down and sizing me up. I could just feel it. I said, yes, I was. And he goes, no. I said, yes. We got into this discussion. And finally he said, yes, I was a servant of Mary. And he goes, no. And I said, yes, I was Sister Mary Kateri. And he goes, no, honey, you are Sister Mary Vodka. He saw the vodka in my hand, and he named me Sister Mary Vodka. So that's kind of on my license plate now, and my husband's license plate has got none. So the secret's <laughs> out of the bag now. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a great story. I love it. And and I've actually been meaning to ask you that, like every time we get together or, you know, have a conversation. And of course, we always have so much stuff that we're talking about that every time I leave and I go, darn it, I forgot to ask her about that. <laughs> so today well, I was, was given both. I was given both names in different in different arenas. So it's the journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really. It's it's quite the 180 there. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and. Really, you could have spelled the, the Mary Vodka. You could have spelled it M-E-R-R-Y. Oh, that's a real good change. I mean, that's a great idea. <laughs> anyway, that is that is wonderful. So, um, oh, my gosh, there's so much. All right. Let me just ask you next. Um, mm, why... Why did you decide, you know, it's going to be really hard to stay away from um, double entendres and puns throughout this entire dialogue. <laughs> I'm sure that happens frequently, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw this one out there and then I promise I will try not to do any, anymore. <laughs> why? So why did you decide to, you know, break your habit and basically retire from, is nunnery a word? From nun life? <laughs> <laughs> 
from the convent. Well, I entered the convent right after high school. It was in the 60s when John Kennedy said, don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He instilled that call to action, that call to service. And it was either join the convent or go into the Peace Corps, which he established. And so I looked at the nuns, and they were so happy. And so I, I decided to enter the convent. My, I was raised Catholic, went to all the Catholic schools. So it was kind of a natural progression. To some people it seems so odd, but it was just kind of a natural thing. I wanted to be mm-hmm. of service, um, and that was it. So, so at that time, you, and that was in Omaha, Nebraska, okay. and about three months later, my parents moved from Omaha out to California. And at that time... I was not happy in the convent. Of course, it was a total change in, um, you know, the way I'd been living. I mean, we couldn't write home. We couldn't have phone calls. We didn't have a radio. <clears throat> we weren't, weren't allowed to speak and only two hours a day from 3 to 4 and 7 to 8. And it was just, it wasn't for me. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So I went to the Mother Superior, and I told her I wouldn't wanted to leave. And she told me that I was um, just lonely and I was um, homesick and this is a natural thing and she just said you're overtired and she sent me to bed for the rest of the day and I remember crying and crying and crying and since I couldn't call home my parents were gone I was kind of stuck there I mean you talk about stuck I was kind of stuck there I didn't know how how to get out and I know there you know hindsight is 2020 and I see all the options now but back then when you're 18 years old and your life depends on this one woman making decisions for you and telling you what to do you kind of fall into lockstep to make a you know make a good Mm -hmm. life so Mm -hmm. that's what I did and so finally after six years in the convent Mm-hmm. I went to the new <clears throat> the new superior, and I said, I really do want to leave. And um, she said, now she threw more guilt on me. And this is my uh-huh. book about the guilt and how to ditch the, the guilt. Yeah. And the, she said, you know, um, sister, we have committed to Holy Name grade school for 23 nuns. And if you leave, she said, we'll only have 22. And she said, that would make me look bad, and we don't want to let the parish down. So I committed for one more year. Oh, my <laughs> and gosh. And she said, well, my parents yes. would be unhappy. You know, I disappoint God. I disappoint the community. Yeah. You know, the, I felt the whole guilt. world yeah. was resting on my shoulders. Talk about so, using <clears throat> guilt as a as a effective weapon, huh? Mm-hmm. But it was, I had decided, you know, before, you know, my, a few months before, I was home for my weekly, or my week visit. I got once a year, I got a weekly visit home to California. And I actually um, talked to my dad about it. This is the first time I'd ever spoken to him about the convent. I mean, you know, about leaving the convent. Because he did not want me to go into the convent. He wanted me to go to school. Um, and I didn't want to tell him that he was right. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of, you know, I, w- I was in lockstep back there in the convent. So when I was out during the summer, I had talked to him, and this is for uh, any of you parents listen to this. It's a great, it's a great method to do. I said to Dad because I still needed his approval in some deep dark part of my soul that it was okay to leave, it was okay to quit. I was never brought up to be that way. Sure. And so I said to Dad, <clears throat> and I said, "What would you think if I left the convent?" And here's his answer. He said, Patty, if you left the convent, if he said, if you stayed in the convent, rather, 
if you stayed in the convent, I would be the proudest father ever. And then he said, but if you left the convent, I would be the happiest father ever. Mm. So that gave me the choice of what to do. I had his blessings, whatever I decided. And that was the first time I really kind of decided to, uh, like, go rogue, as you say, you know. Yeah. To actually go against the church and what they were telling me and my commitment and all that. That is just fascinating to me. So, wow. Amazing. Amazing the way that your dad, your father um, broached those, you know, his his opinion, his choices when you asked him. That was because Mm -hmm. for you, it gave you the freedom um, Mm -hmm. to not feel guilty about either way you decided to go. So that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really is then your so your going rogue story you're stepping out of line and doing something, you know, kind of unprecedented for you. That was probably it then. It wasn't so much going into becoming a nun. It was actually going rogue and leaving. Would that be a fair? Right. It was bucking the system. And that's the first time that I had ever done that. I mean, I'm a people pleaser. I follow the rules. You know, that's the way I was brought up. And so to go against the authorities and, you know, what I had been living for seven years, and to admit that it wasn't working out. I mean, that it took a lot of courage. That's the first time I kind of listened to my that gut feel that kind of pulls you along and tugs you where you should be going and yeah. not kind of dismissing that, kind of following through on and make it happen. So it took me seven years to get out. <laughs> I'm not wow. the fastest learner here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, on the one hand, um, it, it, yeah, but it does those seven years, uh, obviously you were questioning yourself, you know, throughout those seven years. Um, sure. and I know from reading your book that you had, you know, it, it wasn't something where finally after seven years you went, no, this isn't for me. This was something you struggled with throughout right. most of the seven years. Right. right. Um, And so, uh, you know, I was going to ask you if, you know, how much of a role did your gut or your intuition play in, in the actions, um, that you took and the choices you made. And it, it sounds like it was there, but you were, um, you were overriding it until you finally couldn't anymore. Well, that's, that's about it. I mean, I think you, we all have these gut feels, but I wasn't raised to make decisions on my own. The church told me what to what to believe and how to pray. My parents told me what to how to behave and what to you know where what it, what school I was going to. Um, you know the the schools told me what to wear. I mean even little decisions like what to wear to school every day. We had uniforms, so I was my whole life was learning to look at authority and follow authority. And I'll tell you what, everybody got along when I followed what they wanted, except me. Sure. If you go to please everybody else, you please everybody else but yourself. And all of a sudden, it will take a toll on you. You know, some way physically or mentally, your body will let you know you're not following through. So that was about the first time that I really got to listen to my gut and follow through on it. Yeah, beautiful. So that uh, that seven years, though, and that whole experience, and then, you know, what followed with um, with 12 years in a marriage that you ended up, you know, not being happy in either. So, but all of that, the, all of that life experience um, brought you to your wonderful first book, which, you know, is helping people like all over the world. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but it doesn't come easy. Like when you say to you know listen to your gut and go rogue. I mean it's a mm-hmm. it's a process you have to go through, and it's one skill building on another skill, and it's building on your self esteem and trusting yourself. So mm-hmm. it's like. When I got out of the convent, I immediately married because that's what all my peers were doing. My younger sisters were married and having kids, and I wanted to catch up. So I married someone within uh, 14 months, and the day I walked down the aisle, I knew that was wrong, too. I knew that wouldn't work. I knew in my gut, but I didn't have the courage to get out of that before. So I stayed in that marriage, like you said, 12 years. And uh, finally, when I was down to 100 pounds, physically, I had to get out. So I broke wow. another rule by breaking the church rule and seeking a divorce. And that was wow. the, that was tough. <laughs> so so Patty, you're just a rebel at heart. <laughs> I'm a rebel inside. <laughs> it doesn't come out very often. <laughs> oh my gosh, but but uh, yeah, it's it's almost like Sister Mary Vodka was your um your inner archetype that was just dying to get out. It came out <laughs> with full steam now. <laughs> But you look back, I, people ask me all the time, do you ever regret that going into the convent? And I go, no. I said that is, I learned a lot. There are some wonderful women in there. I, I got to develop my faith that I have that is, you know, morphed into something. My husband calls it the church according to Patty. So I have, I've built on that. And then it's like I, I do a lot of work with women's groups and things. And I have the credibility because I've been there, done that. I've been in a in a situation I couldn't get out. Other, although it wasn't abusive, maybe it was emotional abuse or you know this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I got into a bad marriage and couldn't get out. So, uh, you know, I've been there, done that. I've had a couple fresh starts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so you wrote this fantastic book, and I'd love to uh, I'd love to talk about that for a few minutes. Um, Seven secrets. To guilt-free living is is what you know it, the things that you've got that you're sharing with people to help them, um, and I, I love all of them. Uh, do you? Can we talk about that for a minute? Is that cool? Oh, with sure. You? Yeah. Sure. All right. So I'm just going to quick go through and and uh, and just name this name the secrets. You've got seven of them, and then you know we don't necessarily have to dive into each and every one of them. But maybe uh, maybe you can give me like you know your your favorite or your top couple, and let's just mm-hmm. talk about those for a minute. Because guilt is such a um, it's so prevalent. It's just so prevalent. And like you said, it's such a debilitating burden to, for people to shoulder. And it really, uh, it has such a massive effect on, you know, on your experience of life. And so I think it's really important that everyone becomes really aware of how much of a role that can play in your life. And, um, you know, everybody's experienced guilt, either they are now or they have at some point or they will at some point. And, you know, that's inevitable, but it's, it's how you decide, you know, you're going to, what you're going to do with it, how you're going to look at it that, that matters, would you say? Mm-hmm. Well, and I, you know, I always say, if you don't control your own happiness, someone else will. So yep. you have to kind of learn what you're all about, what your life purpose is, what makes you happy, what makes your soul sing. 
and then you have to find out how you can express that in you know within a variety of situations but i mean it, it can't it doesn't have to be these big heavy guilt things i mean there are little things like somebody mm-hmm. gives you a gift i feel like i have to write a thank you note within 2 days i mean that's the way mm-hmm. i was brought up you write a thank mm-hmm. you note and if you don't write a thank you note, I feel like I'm cheating him if I just send him an email. I mean, it's little things like that day-to-day that I'm now aware of that really drag you down. And then that's how you kind of lose your soul. So you have to be yeah. brave and you have to kind of do a lot of reflection. Yes, yes. Um, you're right, because I think um, it's all those little things chip away and it, factors into that giving away of your own power, which I write about in my book. And I know that is part of, um, your secret, uh, number one, I think, right. Which is don't let religion get in the way of your relationship with God. And you talked about giving away your power in that. Right. I mean, I thought that, you know, if I practice my religion and it's a practice, it's going to church and saying the rosary or whatever, that I would have this relationship with God. But I felt real empty inside. I did all the right things. I checked all the boxes and still I was kind of unhappy, unfulfilled. And so I think sometimes religion can get in the way if you think that's all you have to do without doing some meditation or without any input on your own. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it really is about a relationship. And so that, you know, to, in order to have a relationship, you've got to be able to relate, right, right. to what it is you're right. trying to to develop the and nurture the relationship with or, you know, mm-hmm. who or what. Um, and I think that's also interesting because I was looking at a couple of things on your website and, and um, you talked about a leap of faith going from religion to spirituality. And just before we move on, um, how do you, for you, define the difference? And, you know, what does that mean going from religion to spirituality? For me, a religion is practice outside. It's outside yourself. And spirituality springs from within you yourself. You find that relationship. You find God in other people. You find God maybe in, in mass in church or maybe the circumstances you have, maybe through suffering you you can identify, um, you know, or be, you know, learn some new things. But, you know, it's it's all over. I think more religion is more um, external and spirituality is more internal. That is very basic and very rudimentary, but basically that's about it. Yeah, I love me. that. I Yeah, no, I feel like I feel like that is really well said. That's exactly how I feel. Perfect. Um, secret number two, life is not a matter of chance but of choices we make along the way. Hmm. All, the, all those little choices yeah. add up. And I didn't exert my choosing ability. I just did what people told me to do. <laughs> and so I didn't, my life was by chance. Whatever those other people wanted, whatever superior said, authority, you know, directed me, I fulfilled it. And they could count on me. I'd always follow their direction and do a, you know, a, good job. And, you know, everything was happy until I figured out that I wasn't happy. (laughs) Right. Everybody else was happy as long as you showed up in the way they deemed, um, was appropriate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and And then sometimes you you don't realize those little choices you make just along the way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really an important thing to make because even, you know, when I talk uh, to people about going rogue, um, it's the rare person that just, you know, like flips a switch and does something 
completely, um, you know, off the reservation and go and, and it makes a really drastic move in their life. Really, really mm -hmm. drastic. That's that it can happen. It does happen where somebody just, you know, flips and, and, well, and it does and happen. And you have to be but, ready mm -hmm. for the reaction of other people. Mm -hmm. I, I think of it kind of as a dance, you know, one person leads and you just kind of follow. And when you don't follow, mm -hmm. they're going, what's wrong with you? You know, what got into you? Yeah. You know, and so yeah. you have to be ready for maybe some rejection, so some criticism, um, not pleasing everybody. So you have to be ready for that, too, when you go rogue or you, mm -hmm. you know, start mm -hmm. taking care of yourself rather than, you know, looking mm -hmm. to other people to make those decisions. Yeah, yeah, because now you're me you're messing up the flow and the rhythm and the mm -hmm. harmony. You mm -hmm. are making waves. and Right, you're making waves, you're swimming right. upstream, you're doing all those things that you never did before. And so what brought this on? And why do you? Why are you changing? We liked you the way you were, you know. So, be, <laughs> right. so just be ready for that. <laughs> it, yeah, it's true. You do have to be ready for that because when you, when you make changes, um, that means that ripple effect is going to uh, – cause everyone, force everyone else to, to change in some way as well. It just, and even I if think it's just that, the way they look at that you. Is some reason, that is part of the reason that we get stuck. You know, we talk about being stuck. Yeah. Um, is that you're, and you don't make those decisions because you know deep down it's going to cause other people pain. It might cause yourself pain. And sometimes you're not ready for that next step. So you shove those gut feelings down, way down. You don't pay any attention to them and you just go, headstrong down one path until until you can't go anymore but I, I think it's those all those ramifications and all those consequences you know are going to come that kind of hold you back and you get stuck mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and most times like you said earlier it, you know it is um sort of a a baby steps and a process of uh, until you get to a point where you are just going to make a change as opposed to just one day you, you, you know, go from black to white kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is, it's, um, I think for a lot of people, um, they place more value on the, on, on the peace and the well being and the, uh, of everybody around them than they do on their own sense of happiness and fulfillment. And mm -hmm. so they wait and they, they wait. wait and they, and stay they keep stuck. waiting for a better day, um, uh -huh. till, you know, till, yeah. you know, things happen. You know, you wait for, for somebody. I remember staying in that marriage because it was our anniversary coming up or it was his birthday or there was a family get together. There was always some reason to put it off. And pretty soon, you know, you go, it's been 12 years. <laughs> Yeah, it's 12 years and, and you're down to 100 pounds. Right, right. <laughs> Something's got to give. Right. Yeah. Secret number three, you can't Okay, this steal is a baseball analogy yeah. that you can't steal second base until you take your foot off first. Right. You know, you, and that's, I was afraid to make that leap, that leap of faith and that that leap and so you try to do both but you can't you just have to take your foot off first and go for it and um if you're like me and you second guess and you kind of reanalyze and rethink you know you can be stuck for a long time mhm mm yeah you're right you 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 can't be on both bases at the same time no you can't be both places at the same time and you just have to take that leap and go for it, you know. So it's like, you, you know, you have to kind of judge. Of course, you just can't make this, you know, it's all about risk-taking, but it's a calculated risk. I mean, even when the runners are in 
baseball, they look at the wind and they see when the pitchers come in and if the, you know, second baseman's mm-hmm. on base. I mean, they take some stuff, but then all of a sudden you have to take a leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to go. Mm-hmm. I like that analogy. Secret number four, don't worry about making a good decision. Instead, make a decision good. I love that. That is when I went to talk to the priest in the convent when I was thinking about leaving. And he could, I went on and on. I probably went on for about a half hour of why I wanted to leave, you know, the guilt that I had about leaving and blah, blah, blah. And I, I went back and forth, and he could just hear it in my voice. And he's that, and this he's trying to also put me. He's like my father did, you know, like whatever you want. I mean, I'll love you, whatever. And he was trying to tell me that it was okay. Just make a decision, mm-hmm. and make it good. Make it work. Don't beat yourself up trying to make the best decision because sometimes they don't work out right. But just make a decision and make it good. Yeah, the the quote that I love in that section, um, Patty, is where you said. I discovered the freedom of not having to make the right decision or make a decision to please others, but rather to make a guilt-free decision. And that was huge for me at the time. Yeah. I mean, I think that 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 right there speaks volumes to people because it um, it is about freedom. Mm-hmm. And it and it isn't necessarily that you're going to make the right choice at exactly the right time. And it certainly is probably not going to be the right choice for everybody else. You, right. but, but the freedom of, of just knowing of taking hold of the opportunity that you, you do have the freedom to make a new decision, to make a new choice and you have the freedom to make it without guilt. That's huge. Mm-hmm. And you have the power. I would never felt powerful, but when I made that decision, I finally kind of took control of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because what's going to happen if, um, you know, if you you do decide, all right, I'm going to make a decision, but you're you're fretting and you're worried that it's going to be the wrong decision, or worse, even I think worse than wrong is you make it, but now you are full of guilt. Right. You're full of guilt and you backpedal and, you know, you regret the decision and, you you know, mm-hmm. it's it's just keep that pedal to the metal and move forward, you know, with the, you make the best decisions with the knowledge you have at the time and, you know, don't beat yourself up. Mm-hmm. All right. Secret five. Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. And that's from a Chinese fortune cookie, but it says that's what awesome. it says at all. We we just don't come here with with a roadmap of where we should go and what we should do and where you know where we'll end up. It's a it's a lifetime school of learning through challenges and figuring out our gifts and how to use them and um, what life is all about. But you know how else are you going to learn unless you make mistakes? I mean, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think those of us that have made some, you know, that have made mistakes and are willing to, you know, do some self-analysis and really look at them. And I know myself, I've made some massive failures and, and mistakes in my life. But for sure, those were absolutely the the very things that made me become so much wiser and so much more empowered as I move forward. 
on to my next venture and, you know, my, my experiences of life, uh, so much better managed, um, because of those, those mistakes or failures. Right. Or, they or, are very, very powerful. And I don't call them mistakes. I call them stepping yeah. stones. Yeah. So yeah. use it as a stepping stone. Use it, you know, as, you know, analyze it, see what you've learned, what you could have done differently, and then move on. But um, you learn more from your failures than you do your successes, I think. I agree. Well, yeah, success, you know, it's nice. You, you, what you learn was that something that you already knew could work, Mm -hmm. but, but when you have something that didn't work, call it, you know, a a failure or a lack of success, or I like to just call it a situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) that's good. That's pretty neutral. (laughs) Let's just call it a situation. Yeah. That didn't unfold as you would have preferred. Um, but those are definitely, cause now you have the opportunity to grow and learn something new. Mm -hmm. And you're almost forced to do it. I mean, you know, rather than choosing it, it, you know, something didn't work out. It's like, Oh, now what? Uh, now I have to readjust. Now I have to change my thinking or change what I'm doing. So it really calls forth a change in you that you might not have taken otherwise. Right, right. Secret number six, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And that's the old Zen proverb that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's so true because I look back, and when you, in hindsight, you look back and go, well, why in the heck did I think that? Or why didn't I do that? But the, I wasn't ready. You, and you have to give yourself that pass. Like when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. And we are all students and we are all teachers at one time or wherever. Sure. Um, yeah, so one day you're the student and the next day you're the teacher and then you're back to being the student. I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's just life. But um, mm-hmm. you, you just take what you can and learn what you can and don't worry about it. It's, you know, when you're on the right track, you're on the right track. Yeah. And you know what I've come to um, realize, at least for me in my life, is that some of those situations um, that involve um, other people um, and things didn't unfold the way that you would have liked or anticipated, um, really those those people in those situations became the teacher for me because sure. I learned, I, you know, because I learned something from, from that situation, from that right. person, you know, in those particular circumstances. So I think a lot of times, even, you know, when people have oh, bad feelings about somebody or they've had a, you know, uh, an experience that wasn't, um, you know, wasn't what they wanted. It was very uncomfortable to some degree. Um, and they just want to, um, you know, discard it, uh, ignore it, forget about it, or worse yet, they're harboring a lot of, you know, judgment and resentment and all kinds of negative stuff. But really, if you could reframe that and figure out what, you know, how that has made you somehow wiser, you know, or a better version of yourself or more equipped to move forward, then sometimes those, the worst, seemingly worst people or worst experiences really Mm -hmm. do become the best teachers. Right. Even if you think, oh, I'll never want to be like that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or I don't want to put anybody else in that situation or, you know. Right. Those biting situations are the ones that sometimes are the best teachers. Sure. I agree. Mm -hmm. Okay. Secret number seven. Oh, my last one. I think this is probably one of my favorites. 
Happiness yeah. is not a gift, yes. but a skill. Yes. And I think there's a lot of people who just look at other people and they think, oh, my gosh, they have the perfect family. She, you know, she, her, she has a great job. Things come easily to her. You know, he's, you know, a great husband, you know. And they don't realize that sometimes you have to work to be happy. It just doesn't land in your lap. It's not a gift for being good. It's not a reward from God. It is something that you work at daily. Mm-hmm. It's a skill. It's a skill. It's like running or doing something like that. You start off finding out what makes you happy, what makes your soul sing, and what you need to do to protect that happiness. I Yes, yeah. It, and you're right. And I write about that in, in my book as well. And I think that happiness is, first of all, everyone's idea of what that is is different. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't look at what appears um, to be somebody else's happiness and think, oh, you know, they, they got it. They were born with it or they got all the right conditions or, you know, all the things you just said. And I don't have that. I never had that or I never will have that. But, um, but that's really, uh, it's so, um, it's such a misperception because really it's like a recipe. Uh, it's like a recipe that you tweak to, to your own liking, to your own taste. And I always say, you know, I think a lot of people confuse happy and feeling happy with happiness, which I consider to be more a state of being rather than, rather than a feeling. It's true. I mean, you, it's, you know, some people confuse success with happiness. They go, if I could be successful, if I could have this, if I could do this, I'd be happy, but they're not. You have to be happy first. And then the success will come. I, I wrote a blog once a couple of years ago. It was about I was taking a walk around the neighborhood, and there was this kind of old beaten up car out in front of a house, and it looked like you know a housekeeper or a you know a, a gardener or somebody. And on the mm-hmm. license plate, it said "Lucky Lady." And I'm thinking, you know, she knows what happiness mm-hmm. is. Here she is, probably cleaning somebody else's house, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and is happy with her life and finds happiness in helping others or maybe with her children or within herself, but she gets it. And um, I thought, right. oh, that was really, really good. Lucky lady. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's really cool because it is, it's just about what what is fulfilling for you, you know, what what makes you feel like you can be fulfilled, at peace, and just being able to enjoy your experience of life in your way. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, I mean, we all know there's, there's tons of people that, um, but materialistically have massive success and they're miserable. Sure. So the, the one doesn't have anything to do with the other. No, but people kind of hang their hat on that success and they think if I'm successful, I'll be happy. Right. But not so. Yeah. Again, define success, right? And <laughs> Really, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fascinating. So what do you think from your experience, um, you know, of, of your time in the convent and, and then you went, you know, right into um, sort of a different, um, I don't want to use the word, what's another word? 
that doesn't sound so prison like than prison. <laughs> you know, <laughs> such such confined situations, you know, with so many specific rules. So you you went from that to to your marriage and and then you finally after, you know, what almost 20 years then really between the two mm -hmm. of them, right? right. Of, of your young life. Um what would you say were the main things that you really learned about yourself from those two experiences? Well, it's funny that you use the word prison because <laughs> I call it the P's. And this oh. is what I learned about myself, which created my prison. And they all began with P. It was mm. like I was trying to please everybody else. Mm. I was trying to be perfect. I never wanted to get in trouble. I was always the leader of the class, so I had to be perfect. And because of those two things, because I wanted to please and be perfect, it led to some behaviors that didn't help me. And one was performing, another P. Mm. It, it, you just go through the act of being happy. You go through the act of being a good wife or, uh, you know, whatever. But it's not motivated from within. It's pleasing without so performing, and the other thing is pretending. You pretend that you're happy. People would ask me, what's wrong? You know, when I was down to le less than 100 pounds and I'm 5'8", they said, what's wrong? I go, nothing, nothing. I pretended <laughs> I was happy, you know. Right. And then the last one is procrastination. The other, the, fi the fifth P is procrastination. I knew mm -hmm. I was miserable, and I just waited for that better day, the better moment, Maybe I was waiting till I was stronger. The teacher wasn't, you know, the student wasn't ready, so the teacher didn't appear. But the procrastination of put off, put off, put off. And those five Ps create the prison. You don't like to use the word prison, but it goes mm -hmm. along with the P, and that's what it does. I would, you know, those five behaviors kind of imprisoned me so I couldn't go rogue, so I couldn't be myself. Right, right. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's not like you were in a prison. No, prison, but, but I, you created were, my, you I created my own. Right. It was like an emotional prison that you sure. created for yourself. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So would you say, you know, because I'm thinking back to um, like just being a, a child or a young person and, you know, learning the rights and wrongs of, you know, how you should be behave. And would you say, is there ever a time in our life when guilt serves us? Well, you know, I guilt and stress can, I, I think of both of them kind of together, they can serve a good purpose. The, a little of it, it's like, it's like uh, heat. A little mm -hmm. of it can warm you, warm your house, but too much of it can kill you. You know, mm -hmm. the, the too much heat, mm -hmm. too much electricity, it can kill you. It's the same way with guilt. I mean, it will keep you on the right path. And, you know, it, you will conform most of the time. And but you still yourself, but you will conform and obey the laws and you know this kind of thing. But if it gets too much, then it it's it, it goes too far. So it's all of a it's all judgment. It's all um, learning mm -hmm. as you go. What what works for you and what doesn't, and what you know what works for society and what doesn't. So mm -hmm. um, I think there's a place for it. Yeah, because it, will yeah. Keep, it kept me in line. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, there is, a, I think there is a place for it just in helping you learn, learn, mm -hmm. you know, learn certain things. And when it comes to, you know, your, your place in the family or your role in the community or, you know, um, the, you know, the, the laws that govern the, the society that you live in, you know, when you start, um, 
breaking certain rules and laws and and moral codes, then guilt. Um, there's a and you feel bad, <laughs> you know, sure. that's, that's helping you go, you know what, that, that's probably not a good thing. I need to, right. I, I need to change or modify my behavior. And I think, uh, so that I think there's a purpose for it, but like you said, when it becomes something though, that is, um, emotionally eating you up and you won't let right. it go, you're, you're, you're either not learning so that you can change your behavior um, or you, you got it, but you just refuse to let it go and you're hauling it around, you know, day to day, year after year, um, so that it's eating away at you and you just won't let it go. Then now you're doing some damage to yourself. Right. If you perseverate on it and you carry it around like a big load on your back, I mean, you have to get rid of that. I mean, you know, but it's, like you said, a certain, you know, if you make somebody feel bad, if you say mean things to people, you should feel bad, <laughs> you know, yeah. so learn from that and then say, I'm not going to do that again and then move on. Exactly. Learn from it. Say, I'm not going to do that again. Forgive yourself and right. move on. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. forgiveness has a, a lot to do with being able to let go of the guilt. And I think that, you know, that punishment uh, you know, people in general are, are very fond of punishment. <laughs> mm-hmm, right. And I think that's one way that people punish themselves is by not letting go of guilt when they feel like, you know, maybe they're just for whatever reason, not deserving of, mm-hmm. of being forgiven, you know, either by others or by themselves. So they carry that around as just a form of punishment. And that's, All right. again, you know, um, it's debilitating. Well, and it's, uh, you know, the church, you know, and my family, you were supposed to be perfect. I mean, and if you screwed up, I mean, you had to go to confession. You committed a sin. I mean, you could go to hell. You could burn forever. I mean, it's like (laughs) between the parents and the church and the school, I mean, the fear of God was put in you. And so if if everybody out there is telling you you're a bad person, and sometimes we get the person mixed up with the behavior, and yes. um, we shouldn't do that, but sometimes we do that. You know, we accept that guilt and that feel bad for ourselves. We must be a bad person if that's what we did, you know, but we're not. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good distinction to make, too, um, is uh, feeling, um, applying, oh, I guess, the judgment or the opinion or the observation on the behavior and not so much on the person. Mm-hmm. Right. So you give people another chance, you know, you can change the stripes of the tiger, as as they say. I mean, you know, because a person can change, and we have to give them that, and um, we have to believe that in ourselves. And I think that that's part of what life is, is just coming to love your and know yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I would would like to ask you... um, one more question. Well, let me, let me ask you this before I, before I go here. So if we were to just be able to give our listeners, uh, a few quick, easy first steps into relieving themselves of some guilt, some things that they could take away with them, you know, today to, to start working on it, what would you like to share with them? Well, one of the first things, you know, um, I have a book, it's called G-Vites. It's called Everyday Invitations from God, where it's kind of the sequel after the convent of where I did finally find God. And um, 
and in it I give a lot of self-help things. And one of them is just exactly what you're talking about. I call it the gut alignment. Mm. And one of the things you can do is to... Um, the gut alignment, it, can, it really consists of three parts, and this is real easy to do. Speak what you feel, and then you have to measure your success, and you prepare for the reaction. So if you speak what you feel, what you really feel, and not what you should feel, just kind of be cognizant of that. Do that gut alignment. Check in as saying, are the words coming out of my mouth the same thing that um, I, I feel in within mm-hmm. me? And then you just have to kind of know... Um, if you're successful or not. If if your whole idea is to please others, well, you won't have that you won't have that gut alignment, you know, because you're going to disappoint people sometimes. And you have to realize that you're going to disappoint them, but you're protecting your own happiness, so you have to know that. And then just p- prepare for the change, get ready. So build up that self-confidence, that self-esteem, have some affirmations ready like I'm protecting my own happiness. I'm um, I'm doing the best I can. I mean, that kind of thing. So I would say just to relieve that guilt, check in with the gut. And when, because your gut is uh, your, you know, that's your gauge. That's your emotion. Your emotions are the temperature of your soul and what you're going through. So listen to yeah. your gut, not in, yeah. not to your, your brain, that drunken monkey that keeps chirping away at you. <laughs> listen to your right. gut and just go for a walk and, Say what you feel and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I love that. And of mm-hmm. course, um, you know, of course, uh, everyone can get a lot more great information and uh, inspiration and tips from both of your amazing books. Um, so before I ask you my last question, where uh, can our listeners find you and your books and everything that you have uh, to share with them? Okay, everything is on the website, and that is pattykogatech.com, and it's P-A-T-T-Y-K-O-G-U-T-E-K.com, pattykogatech.com. And then um, I put all my Thursday blogs are on there, and if you would like to receive my Thursday short little inspirational blog, there's a place for you to sign up to receive the emails there. And if you do that, you get a, a free healing book. <laughs> it's, it's an email book called mm. Patty's Prayers. And it's prayers to help you through um, ditching the guilt and finding yourself and being, and being happy. So I would say go through the website, and you'll find the books there. You'll find the blogs there. You'll find all the Instagram things that I post every day there. So that's yeah. kind of the place to go. Yeah, exactly. It's a wonderful website, too. And, of course, all of your services, you know, for if somebody wants private uh, coaching with you or to um, talk to you about doing a workshop, all of that is on Patty's website. So be sure to check that out. Well, and make sure to go to Facebook. I have a a Patty Kogatek author page. I have a personal page and an author page. And we have great discussions on there. And I post lots of maybe five or six things every day that get you to think. And then we respond to each other. So that's kind of helpful, too. Yeah, very nice. Excellent. Okay, so my last question for you, Patty, is what would you say is the value of going rogue? Finding yourself, finding what you're here for. I was here for everybody else, and now I know why I'm here, what I'm supposed to do, and it's, like you said, it's very freeing, and it makes your life worth living. I mean, otherwise, you're just living your life for other people, and you don't know um, what you're here for. 
Yeah. And I just Purpose. read a big article about, you know, how life expectancy. And one of the things the author said was that um, having a purpose in life will extend your life. People who have a purpose to get up every morning. It doesn't have to be to save the world either. It can be like, the, you know, um, a hobby you enjoy or you want to see your grandchildren walk down the aisle or you want to, you know, whatever. Yes. If you have a reason to live, it, you will most, most likely see many more days than somebody who doesn't. So I thought yeah. that was pretty interesting. So it Absolutely. not only helps your happiness, but it helps your longevity. I agree. And it, I think it's why, um, you know, a lot you hear stories all the time about people that have um, been um, been busy and working and productive their whole lives. And then they retire and poof, a minute later, the, they're gone. It's like they lost their purpose. Right. They lost their purpose. And we define ourselves by what we do or what we have rather than who we are. Yeah. And I think it's important to remind people your purpose, like you said, it, it doesn't have to be a global mission. Your purpose no. might just be, like you said, spending time with your grandkids, or maybe you, you know, there's, uh, you want, want to read all the classics, whatever, but you have to have a compelling reason that calls to you and mm -hmm. a reason that you're excited to get up every day. Mm -hmm. It does. It's motivating and it, it, it protects your happiness. I mean, it, it makes life worth living because before you know it, your life is passing away quickly. Yeah, it goes by. It seems like it <laughs> crawls at a snail's pace when you're right in, in your school years. And then all of a sudden, uh, they're so distant that you can't really remember them anymore. <laughs> oh, I know. I just had a, a hip replacement. And I said to the doctor, I said, how the heck this happen? I'm only 38. And he goes, well, I can help you. I'm only 18. So we both are living in denial. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, that's great. Well, this has been fantastic. And I would love to have you back again at some point, because I know we have a whole list of things that we could dive into and share with everyone. So I would love to invite you back uh, someday if you would be interested. That would be fabulous. Well, I would love and to. It's always fun chatting with you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, um, everyone, um, please go check out Patty's website, pattykogatech.com and Patty, thank you so much. You have an awesome day and I am, uh, I'm really grateful for this time we had. Thank well, you. I'm grateful too. And to you and all your listeners, happy new year and, um, enjoy your journey and here's to your happiness. All right. That's it for today, everyone. If you liked what you heard, please head on over to the we're talking shift.com website and hit me up with your comments, please. We're talking shift.com is also the place to connect with me. If you are trying to make some shift happen in your life and you would like some private coaching. So that's it, you guys. I will talk to you all next week. Please stay feisty, my friends, and go make some shift happening. You too, Gary V. The preceding podcast was a TJ DeSantis production. Comments, questions, and inquiries can be directed to desantisprod at gmail.com.